This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. It's a huge issue. We don't talk about it enough, but the stats are it's in the church just as much as is in the world, which is sad. Let me start with this story that I heard some time ago. It's out of a newspaper in Suffolk. I had to lose it or die. Farmer John Mitzford, 45, from Stowmarket in Suffolk, said, I stopped to investigate a fault, but as I approached the Bailey machine, I stumbled and fell forward. I put up my arm to break my fall, and my hand somehow got caught through the guard that projects the machinery and got caught between the two four-foot rollers. Within seconds, the bailer was trying to pull me in, so I wrapped my body around the guard and hung on tight. It didn't hurt at first because my hand was so numb, The rollers are pretty powerful because they're used to crush grass and they're turning very fast and there's a lot of friction. I realised that my hand was literally being cooked by the friction. It looked like a piece of raw meat. It was obvious I was never going to get out and I was weakening all the time, so I decided to cut it off. Amazingly, I had a knife. I found a knife in a boat I'd been given some months earlier. And luckily, the day before, I'd sharpened it because I was cutting string on the bales. I began to saw the flesh at the top of my wrist. Strangely, I didn't feel any pain. I quickly cut through the bone (laughs) and then began cutting underneath. And then it began to really hurt because I was cutting into flesh that I could feel. That made me hurry up a bit, he says. And finally, I got almost through. I just simply had to pull and use my strength to break the bone and pull away. I grabbed the severed hand and walked to uh, to the nearby cottage where we called the ambulance. Doctors said that Mr. Mitford's hand uh, was so severe that there was no chance of sewing it back on. After two weeks in the hospital, he said, it has happened, but at least I'm still alive. I have to get on with my life. My parents raised me with the idea that a man has got to do what a man has got to do. Maurice Meyer, the plastic surgeon at West Norwich Hospital, says, what this man did was absolutely remarkable. It's a tribute to his character. Not many people would have been able to do what he did. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. Jesus has a similar story, actually. In Matthew 6, this is what he says. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. 
It's better to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. It's better to to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be separated eternally from God. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be separated from God forever. And you think, Jesus, this is ridiculous. And he doesn't even send, he's not saying, hey guys, I'm just being metaphorical here. You know, but it's, he, he says this is a life and death struggle. And it, you can apply this to all sin, but he's saying it's a life and death struggle against destructive lust. That offending eyes should be gouged out and we should take our knife to our wrists and cut off our hands rather than f- fall into sin. And you think, Jesus has been ridiculous. But I think he's, he's saying, guys, do you understand the seriousness of what you're involved in? And when I read the story of the, the bailing machine, I thought, I understand what Jesus is talking about because pornography is a bit like a bailing machine. Uh, if you don't want a bailing machine, it's basically you get you cut the straw and then what the, the bailing machine gathers up the straw between the rollers and squashes it flat and compresses it and puts it out of the other side in either round or square bales. So you're familiar with that sort of process. So I want to kind of use this idea of a bailing machine uh, to get into talking about uh, pornography today. But just before we do that, let's pray. Father, we just pray as we hear your words, Jesus. And this is serious. This is war. This is life and death. And we don't want to just see it as some casual thing. You say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. <coughs> Cut off your hand and gouge out your eye. Uh, but Lord, we... We don't come here with our eyes gouged and our hands cut off because lots of people here, that should be their case. But Lord, we want to find a way that we can fight the pornification of culture. We want to fight destructive lust. We want to come through victorious. Lord, I know we can and I believe by your grace we will. Amen. Lust is not a new problem. It's not a new challenge. Uh, And pornography is all about feeding lust. The word pornography comes from graphy, which means writings, and pornea, which means prostitutes. So it's actually literally writings about prostitutes. First kind of re-emerged, it's a Greek word from about 2,000 years ago. So when the Bible's written, when Jesus is around, this word was around writing about prostitutes. We talked about in the first one of this talk about how Corinth was a church awash with sexual sin because it was in a society, Greek society, awash with kind of sexual Immorality, and so this word is out there, and actually re-emerged. And interestingly, I just kind of did a bit of research. It re-emerged after the French Revolution in the 1800s. What happened in the French Revolution? There was some some pretty bad stuff. There may have been one or two strands of good stuff, but there's basically some pretty bad stuff. And what you had in the French Revolution, you had the secularization of society. They threw away all kind of pretense of Christianity, and they said, "Look, we don't need God at all." And then what happened is there was a uh, and what uh, the writers uh, in France described, an epidemic of pornography, and the word re-emerged. This kind of sense where when God is thrown off, where secularization comes, that you get a, an upswell of, of, of pornography. And, and it's not much surprise that that's what's happened in our culture as we've gone through 60 years plus of secularization. 60 years plus of saying, no, we don't need the boundaries, biblical boundaries that f- uh, formed our culture. We can reject that. 
So Playboy magazine, which is literally, was writings, as well as pictures, writings about prostitutes, writing about women, uh, first emerged in 1953. And it was an absolute shock. It was a shock for that to be allowed into mainstream culture. In fact, there was uh, arguments not about Playboy, but about another such magazine, about should, the, should, should it be the free speech? We've got some Americans here with us today, uh, more than one up, more than our normal one. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you know should it, is, is it part of free speech to be able to write about por- pornography? Is it, should, we, should that be allowed? And there's a big debate. We don't need to necessarily get into it. But, you know, should it be allowed? But what's happened is whether whether we've wanted it or not, we have undergone what's called the por- what people are calling the pornification. It's a processification, pornification of culture. Catherine Boyle, in her book Everyday Pornography, writes this: Pornification is the way that the aesthetics and explicitness of pornography has infiltrated mainstream culture. So that's the culture we're in. Porn v- images, writings have invaded our culture. So 50 Shades of Grey, you put five in Google now, you put the number five in Google and the first thing it suggests is 50 Shades of Grey. And every advance of technology is either being ridden on or being driven by by pornography, by pornographers. So videotapes, so it used to be you had to go to the video, you used to had to go to a shop and buy, buy Playboy, stick it under your jacket, walk out, and then you had to go to the video store and get videotapes. And then what happened is the internet. Suddenly the pornography comes out of the red light district, out of the sex shop and into your home. And now with smartphones, it's in your pocket. You don't even have, people don't even have to know. Not much chance of getting caught. A friend of mine went on Twitter. I'm on Twitter and I think it's pretty harmless. But he said his first couple of days on Twitter, he was sent a pornographic image. Foolishly, he clicked on it and watched it and then they thought, what am I doing? And he thought, I'm not going on Twitter. It's just there all the time. It's there all the time. And the pornography is this massive industrial bailing machine. Uh, it feeds in, this is the horror, I and mean, we're going to build up the kind of horror of this, so because I think when you understand the horror of it, it helps you to re- say, what am I playing with? 12.3 million people are fed into the bailing machine of the global sex industry. 12.3 million people. Sex trafficked. 2 million children every year. Pornography is this disease. The average lifespan of a... a a porn actor, 37.4 years. Whereas most of the average age in California would be over 70. Half the lifespan. The porn industry turns out 11,000 porn films a year. Hollywood turns out 400. This is massive. Into the bailing machine of internet porn are entered the hands and eyes of those people who make 25% of all Google searches about porn. 70% of men visit a porn sign once, once a month. 70%. And it's not just now that it's men. It used to be that women visually looking at porn, women have always read, as it were, 
fantasy about romantic men with six-packs coming and being the perfect husband. They've always read that kind of stuff. But, but, but women looking at visual porn has gone up from 10% to 33% in the last 20 years. I investigated the bailing machine, said our farmer. I approached, I stumbled, and fell. My hand was caught. Out of the bailing machine comes 5% of population who admit to some addiction to pornography. Men whose minds are so messed up they cannot make love to a real woman. Married couples so disinterested in sex because one or both of the spouses are just not interested in real, real love that drifts to divorce. Out of the bailing machine comes $4.9 billion a year. $3,000 a second comes out of the bailing machine. A lot of that goes to organized crime. There was a disturbing video that I thought, should we show it? Disturbing video about women trafficked in South Africa for, for pornography and prostitution. And it's just organized crime. And they were showed, oh, it was just, just even the talking about it, it had women blacked out, blacked out kind of faces, just talking about being beaten up and forced into this bailing machine. Gail Dines, in her article in The Guardian, Pornography and Biz Business, says, the porn industry is embedded in the complex value chain. It's about money, isn't it? Love of money is the root of all evil. Linking not just film producers and distributors, but bankers, software producers, credit card companies, internet providers, and cable companies. I don't know if you picked up recently that there was a bit of a move, wasn't there, to have porn blocked before it came in? Porn blocked by your ISP, your internet service provider, before it blocked in. The government said there was not the public consensus. The latest survey I saw said 69% of people said we'd like porn blocked before it comes into our house. There's not the public consensus. The, to me, the government are in this. Somehow, they're, they're in this. They're tied with big business and whatever. I'm not saying every government member, every part of big business, no. But, but you've got to understand this is a global business. And we're not helped by the government. We're not helped by hotels. We're not helped by phone providers. We're not helped. First main point is, how does pornography pull you in? It's one hand in the bed. Yeah, you've told him I'm a long preacher, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, one hand. How does pornography pull you in? It, it, it's, it works like a bailing machine. Sin works like a bailing machine. He just said, I went to investigate and I stumbled and fell. And he's pulled in. Sin works on that principle. It, Something to investigate, our natural desires, something that promises pleasure and fulfillment. The temptation, go, temptation, like every temptation, goes, go on, go on. It'll be great, just imagine it, you need it, you'll be satisfied, you'll feel great, what about buzz? And before you know it, you give in to the temptation and you're pulled in, crushed, enslaved and bound out the other side. The thing about porn is it never satisfies... Proverbs 27.20 says this, The eyes of a man, and increasingly a woman, are never satisfied. Do you know what your biggest sex organ is? Your mind. Your mind. Porn invades the mind. It captures the eyes and invades the mind. So, you all, so if you let things in through your eyes, it captures your mind and you become enslaved. 
Porn actually triggers hormones that are designed to work on your emotional shape. Design, that designed to make you want more and designed to burn the experiences into your memory. Now, if you're married, that's good. Not for looking at porn, but for looking at your partner. For being with your partner. If you have sex with your partner, so I'm going to use words, you might be upset, and there's a, and you orgasm, that releases chemicals into your brain that makes you want to do that with them more. And it makes you remember it fondly. That's what it's there for. That's what God put it there for. But actually with porn, it makes you remember not your spouse or your future spouse. It remember, makes you remember all the images that you've seen. And because you could never be satisfied, even though you masturbate and you have orgasm, it burns those memories into your mind. You become enslaved. There's a, there's a sense, I think, where, where we need to understand that sex drive is very plastic. I don't know what science is like, we've got some good scientists here, but, but if you heat plastic up, it bends and eventually will flow. But when it's cold, it doesn't. So when you look at your sex drive and your motivations in the cold light of day, it feels very rigid and very fixed. But if when you heat it up, in sex or fake sex, it flows in the direction that you let it go. So there's a survey, and I tried really hard to find where it was from. I remember seeing it in Horizon on BBC TV some years ago. And what happened is that there was a survey was conducted, I think it was in the States, but I'm not quite sure, it might have been the UK university, where they basically asked male students, they got a, a bunch of male students and they said, would you like to be paid to do nothing but watch porn for two weeks? You know, and those students will say, yeah, inject me as part of pharmaceutical tests or whatever, you know. They thought, yeah, this would be fine. So they got these this bunch of male students and they said, just watch porn, you can watch it in private. Each one can be in private. You watch porn in private for, for two weeks, nine to five. That'll be your job. The only thing we're going to know is your internet history. We're not going to notice, we're not going to know who it is. We're just going to know your internet history. Guess what? You know what I'm going to say, don't you? They start with simple stuff, soft core. And they move to hardcore. Most of them did that progression quite quickly. Many had looked at homosexual images, often of the opposite sex, but some started to look at uh, homosexual images of the same sex. Some, I think there was one or two, and I, can't, I really wish I could find this because I don't want to just quote this without its space, but some actually started to look at perverted stuff like rape and paedophilia. Two weeks! Nine to five. Now you could say, and there's, it might, that survey might say a lot of things, it, some people might never ever look at that stuff. But there's a predisposition, and if you heat up your sex drive and let it flow outside of marriage, it's, it, you might find it takes you to places you don't want to go. You might start with page three, but it doesn't end there. In fact, interestingly, uh, people say that you can tell how long a person has been looking or addicted to porn by the, the darkness of the images. Porn v- leads viewers to see porn as better and more satisfying than real sex. 
Users make demands if they're married or they're in a relationship with their partners to try and meet their desires, their fantasy sex, but actually they still remain dissatisfied. Please don't use porn in your marriage relationship to get yourself interested. Get interested in each other. Rock star John Meyer, who used to date Jennifer Aniston from Friends, you know, Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, whatever. She dated Jennifer, he dated Jennifer Aniston. And I found this, I didn't read Playboy to find this, but this is what he said. It was in Rolling Stone website where I found this. He talks about porn. The rock stars obviously had lots of relationships. He talks about porn. When I watch porn, it's not hot enough, he says. Sometimes I'd watch 300, I've changed the word here, scenes, before I get out of bed in the morning. Rather than meet someone new, I'd rather go home and replay the amazing scenes. I'm more comfortable in my imagination than in actual human discovery. It's what porn takes you into a fantasy world where you never, ever can get satisfied. Illinois University professor uh, William Struthers says this, Porn is a whispered false promise. It whispers better sex, endless sex, excel on demand, more intense orgasms. Time spent with porn prevents the user from engaging in real relationships with real people. Women who use fantasy porn are always disappointed with their husbands. It turns women into dreamers, and it turns men into children. When women uncover themselves to serve passive men, some fundamentals of masculinity are reversed. A man is meant to go out from himself and find a woman. We talked about that in our sexuality, in our singleness. He's meant to proactively serve an actual flesh and blood woman. And he, and he alone, is to uncover her nakedness. The Bible talks about it as uncovering the nakedness. He and he alone is to uncover her nakedness and enters into that deep oneness, that one flesh of soul and spirit and body. The woman is to be discerning and give herself just to one man and lay down her life, who lays down his life for her. But what happens when a man indulges in pornography? He doesn't go out from himself, but he turns into himself. He pursues nothing but his own desires rather than the desires of his wife. He woos no one but himself. He is not the active servant, he's the passive recipient. He doesn't uncover her nakedness, she, the porn star, indiscriminately uncovers herself. He doesn't engage her mind or heart, but merely consumes his flesh. Glenn Srivener, who, who I picked this from, says, Pornography calls nothing forth from a man except his credit card details. And the more he lives and inhabits this selfish, selfishness, the more it shuts him down further. Pornography turns man into a child. And then he says this, which is why the male icon of the porn industry pads around the Playboy Mansion in his gym jams. It turns him into a child. It doesn't make real men. Actually, porn users lose their ability to relate to real people on any level. In fact, Woody Allen says it's masturbation. Well, at least it's sex with someone you love. But actually, it actually makes sex impossible. It makes you unwilling to give yourself. What you find with people that struggle with pornography is actually not just do they struggle to give themselves sexually, but they, start, they struggle to give themselves relationally at all. They become it turned in more and more introverted. They struggle with real commitment. And actually, porn doesn't make you a better lover. Excuse me if you're finding this disturbing. But porn doesn't, porn doesn't make you a better lover. Actually, porn means that you can't be a very good lover. 
if you watch too much porn, it's over before it started. Now, girls, don't worry. If you're married and your husband is over before it started, it doesn't mean he's obsessed with porn. But it might be. It's over before it started. Because porn teaches you to finish quick. And that doesn't make you the great lover. I remember counselling someone who was married, newly married, unable to make love to his wife. Physically unable to make love to his wife because his head was so full of the wrong images of women airbrushed, enhanced. Women who were unconditionally sexually available for men to dominate and exploit. The pornification of our society, instead of creating equality between men and women, has actually enslaved women again. You women should be cross about this. You should be writing to your MPs. It's not about sexual freedom for you, it's about objectification. So actually, increasingly, teenage boys who are the biggest consumers of porn, on their phones, expect a girl to act like a porn star. They expect her to look like a porn star, dress like a porn star, be enhanced like a porn star. You look at the Bratz dolls, you look at the clothing for kids who are 10 that's got the Playboy bunny on there, that says that's how you're supposed to look, that's how you're supposed to behave. The desire for breast enhancement is biggest in girls between 16 in the States, 18 in the UK, and 21. And actually, all this idea where girls will text the guy a picture of themselves in a sexually explicit position so the guy can have it on their phone and they think that's what you're supposed to do. And then you think, oh, that doesn't happen. It does. It's right out there. If you work in a secondary school, it's out there. Well, there was a fight at one of the schools I worked at in the corridor between a guy and a girl. They'd split up, and she's shouting stuff to him that was shocking. I'd clear the corridor. Everybody out! Cleared the corridor. They were fighting. He had emotionally raped her because she had given herself to him foolishly. This is the on-ramp, isn't it, to the highway to all the stuff we read about. You know, it's the on it's the on ramp to sexual abuse. It's the on ramp to rape. It's the on ramp to paedophilia. We cannot see this as something that doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, you and you struggle with porn, you are playing with life and death. You're playing with a destructive, vile industry that kills people, that takes people's lives, that destroys marriages, that destroys you. It's not just a bit of fun. It's not just a healthy stopgap until you get married. It will make you a lousy lover. It will make you a bad, turned-in person who will never, ever get anyone. And you're going to come on Sunday after Sunday feeling bad and feeling bad and feeling bad. So there's got to be a way to get free. So let's lift this out of the depth. (laughs) I wanted to paint it as it is, guys. That's what we do here. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. And that is not go and look at some porn. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. He's got to take the penknife, cut off his hand. Metaphorically. Jesus didn't even say metaphorically, does he? He said, guys, this is serious. Let's take some radical action against destructive lust. It's real. It's serious. It's a war. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you, abstain. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. 
If people were dressed, dressed up as whatever, coming in with AK-47s to shoot you down, you'd gear up, wouldn't you? You'd gear up and say, right, we're going to fight this. But it's in your pocket. And it's already slipped into you. And you're already weakened. And the war, the strategies, you've got no strategy. You're just invaded and you're failing. And it's time to take some steps. You know, if you're tempted, it's not sin. Jesus, it says in Hebrews, Jesus was tempted in every way but didn't sin. So if you're tempted, that means you're human. But temptation is to entice you into sin. It entices you into sin. You're a guy, you drive around, you go to the shop, you turn on your TV. It, sex is there and it's saying, come on, come on, come on. Entices you into sin. But James says it's still you. It says, James says this. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. In d- desire gone out of shape, that's what it is. Then desire, when it's conceived, when you've done it, gives birth to sin. It feels terrible. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is war. We must break the cycle of temptation and thought and action. Let me give you a tip, guys, girls. It's easier to break it at thought than at execution. It's easier to break it when the temptation comes. And this is how it goes. This actually works when you're dating. So you're dating and you think, right, what's going to happen is, aha, I share a flat. My flatmates will be out. My girlfriend is coming around. Ha ha, we can get up to whatever we want. And then afterwards we'll feel really bad and talk about how fast you would go. But there's a thought before the action. And it's the same with pornography. There's a thought that there might be an opportunity. You might get moved to the office, out of the work with everybody, to the corner office. You might stay work late after work and have a look. You might take your computer out of the public area and it might be upstairs where you can't get seen. Or when everybody's out and the thought comes... How about it? How about now? What about it? Have a think. Could you? Could you? And what you do is you lie to yourself if you don't say, I've agreed then. I've agreed then. And you say, oh, oh, I just couldn't help it. I remember one guy said to me, I just can't help it. I'm there at my computer and I'm just typing and I can't help it. I thought, yeah, you thought. I said to this guy, if the police came in and arrested you and sent you to jail for three years, could you help it? He said, yes. So I said, you can help it. You just think, oh, there's no consequences, I'm not going to get caught. This guy, some guys are so blatant, they just think, it doesn't matter. My wife, I don't even care, she knows. Your wife should know. But so that you can be, confess and repent. It says this, doesn't it, in Proverbs, a dog... A fool returns to his folly like a dog to his vomit. Some guys with girls eating vomit. We're back to our vomit. Back to our vomit. We've got a dog and he ate some vomit. How can they do that? Why do dogs eat poo? And you think, how stupid. Milo, don't eat the poo. Some of us go home and eat poo. Eating our vomit. Feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling isolated, feeling despaired. We've got to tackle porn at its first thought, at its moment of enticement, at its moment. You've got, it says, Paul says in Corinthians, uh, we've taken thought every captive and what? Make it obedient to Jesus. 
Do I want to look at naked women? Yes. But when the thought comes, you've got to take it captive because you know where it goes. You take it there, not when you've already sort of kidded yourself that you're going to have a look. Oh, I just was surprised. Sometimes, sometimes images do sideline you. They, they do blindside you. You've thought and you've careful and you've gotten the armour of God and you're careful. And sometimes an image does blind you. And then you, even then the thought comes, oh, go on. Sometimes it's unplanned. But even you can still do it. Paul says this. No temptation has overtaken you except common to mankind. It could be talking about many things, but it might be talking about this. But God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I'm an addict, you say. The Bible says, no, you're not. You can bear it. You can choose. I can bear it. Now, I'm not saying you don't need help or prayer or counselling or whatever. What I'm saying is the Bible ultimately says you can help it. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. So you can endure it. You know the story, I must be quick. You know the story, don't you? Joseph, Potiphar's wife, it's not pornography. She says, come on baby, let's go to bed. There's no one around, my husband's out, let's do it. What does he do? He doesn't say, no, that's interesting, I find you an attractive lady. Maybe my wife, and if he'd thought that thought, he's in bed with her. He goes, he runs out, she grabs his coat, and he's, doesn't go well for him, does it? Sometimes if you resist sin, it looks like a bad option. Sometimes it looks like a good option. Nobody will know that's the good option. But actually running out, he loses his cloak, ends up in prison. But he keeps his life. He keeps his integrity. So let me say something about accountability groups. We, we have groups called threes. They're not accountability groups. They're gospel groups where we share life with each other. But, but basically you need to, to, to connect with your friends... Because James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. It's biblical to break the power of hiding by confession. And the way it works is you, you need to build up a level of trust. I don't suspect, you know, you get in a three, and then week one, you say, because you just got to build some trust. But as you build some trust, as you build some relationship, you might then want to risk Taking your mask off and saying, this is my problem. Do not say what you watch or how hardcore, oh, oh, it's not really very hardcore or not. Let's just not have any of that. Just say, this is my problem. I want to pray for you. I want you to pray for me and confess it. Now, they'll be full of grace. But also, you should get a kick in the ribs. This is what it says in Scripture. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Spur is a kick in the ribs, isn't it? If you're a horse, it's a sharp pointy thing on the back of your heel, a kick in the ribs. You should confess it, but you should get a kick in the ribs. You should feel loved, but you should say, no! Don't do it. And I think sometimes we're very good at grace, but not enough at, this is shocking. It's a balance to be struck. Grace, but challenge. Confess it to one another. If you're looking at child porn, or you're feeding a homosexual orientation, please come and talk to me or your G1C leader. I have worked through those kind of issues with people and seen them transformed and free. But the best way, the best way, I'm finishing, nearly finishing here, the best way is to, to love Jesus and know the gospel. 
Because the gospel says you really are free. Your habit says, no, you're not. Your emotions, your desires say, no, you're not. But the gospel says, yes, you are. Romans 6 is a... It says, we are those who've died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Do not offer any part of your body to sin. Actually, the, 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 original, the original idea is don't offer any members. Don't offer bits of your body. You know which bits get used? Eyes and hands and other bits. Don't offer any bits of your body as an instrument to wickedness. Rather, offer yourself to God, to those who've been bought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law but under grace. If I say don't do it, you won't get free. But if, I, but if you love Jesus, you will. Jesus says this in, in the garden, doesn't he? He says to his disciples as they're falling asleep, he's about to face the cross, he says this, watch and pray, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And I used to read that and think, it, it was, a, you know, that bit from the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. But actually, I think it's watch and pray, and then you don't fall when temptation comes. Yes, there is a prayer, lead us not into temptation. But sometimes when temptation comes, we give it a space. But actually, when you're close to Jesus, when you're watching and praying, you won't fall for it. I know that you fall when you're not close to God. You do. You're falling not close to God. Terry Virgo, who's kind of the father of this network of churches that we part of, says, I fear for anyone who does not regularly find themselves in prayer. Too often when we're alone, we're alone with porn rather than alone with prayer. It's almost like prayer is your spiritual antivirus. You know how antivirus works? You're going on a website, it can be some football website, money, whatever, and you click uh, something, a download, and your antivirus says, do not open this attachment, otherwise you may get a virus on your computer. Now, I don't know any idiots who say, oh, who cares? Beep. Let's download anyway. But porn is the same. You may not flash a little image, but your conscience flashes a little image. Don't download this, otherwise you may get a spiritual virus. And prayer somehow updates your, your spiritual antivirus. Passion for Jesus updates your spiritual antivirus so that you think, oh, I couldn't go there. Some of you might even need to get some practical software. Don't ask me about it. Find some. Get some practical software that actually blocks your stuff. Take some action. But actually, the best way is to really gaze at Jesus. Sin is best conquered by the expulsive power of another affection, said Thomas Chambers. Sin is best conquered by the expulsive power of another affection. If I said to you, don't think of naked women, you're already gone. Don't think of naked men, you're already gone. But if you say, think about Jesus, that is expulsive and changes it. And the key thing is, we become what we gaze on. 2 Corinthians, last scripture, and then I've got some, a little recipe for you. We all with uncovered faces gaze or behold or contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. If you gaze upon porn, if you gaze upon sexual images either in your mind or visually, then you become like that. The plastic flows and you become what you don't want to be. 
We all with uncovered faces gaze on the Lord's glory being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes by his spirit. You need the spirit of God to help you. But I know for me, when I find, I've had a bit of theological pathway, when I find some fresh truth about Jesus, when I re-dug into the Trinity series, I felt my spiritual power much stronger. I thought, I just love you, Jesus. I just love you. Temptation was like, bing, no problem. When I'm tired and low and I'm feeling challenged, then you've got to watch it. We've got to believe that Jesus is more satisfying than sin. You've got to believe that you want Jesus more. So here's my recipe. They're my ingredients for a porn-free week. These are my ingredients for a porn-free week. So it's not, I'm not going to tell you how to bake it or mix them together or which oven to put it in. But these are my ingredients for a porn-free week. A bucket load of worship. A bucket load of worship. I know a friend of mine, in fact we went to see him, we were up with him in London, he's always worshipping. He's in the shower, I'm out with the dog in the garden, he's in the shower worshipping Jesus, I love you Lord, whatever it is he's singing. And he's he's worshipping, and I said to him, I've said to him in the past when we used to be in a three together, why do you worship? He says, keeps me focused on Jesus, and not on other things. So, you know, if you're tempted, put on a worship CD. It's hard to masturbate when there's a worship CD on, unless you've really, really got an MS. Put a worship CD on. Read your Bible. Go for a walk. Visit someone spontaneously from your group. Don't say, I was really struggling with porn and I've come to see you. Just say, hey, I'm cool. And that doesn't mean if you pop in to see someone this week, they're struggling with porn. <laughs> ah, I know why you're here. You haven't really come to watch Man United against Reading. You've come because you're struggling with porn. I see you. <laughs> but go and find some friends. Go and be with someone else. Go come to the prayer meeting. You know, Christians, what's the worst, night, worst time of the week where people, Christians download porn? Sunday. What should they be doing in God's people? Come to the prayer meeting. Some of you download porn, need to come to the prayer meeting a bit more. Some of you download porn. You need to find another way. You need to get a bucket full of worship, a ton of prayer and delight, a barrel load of community and the gospel, a barrel of mission and faith. When you're out, you know you say, I haven't got time for mission. But some of us have got time for this. A diary filled with Serving. A wallet emptied with self-giving. Daily seasoned with fresh Bible truth. A bucket load of worship and joy. A ton of prayer and delight. A barrel load of community and gospel. A barrel of mission and faith. A diary filled with serving. A wallet emptied in self-giving. A daily seasoned with fresh Bible truth. I believe if you did those, even a pinch of worship, a a dash of prayer, a smidgen of community and gospel, you would find yourself different. Because what Paul wants to do, it wants to isolate you in misery, not worship. It wants to take you from prayer and put you in, in, I'm so useless. It wants to take you out of community so you don't build real relationships. It makes you not want to believe the gospel when you should. It means you're so obsessed with yourself you feel too bad for mission. Instead of serving, you want to be served. Instead of giving your money to Jesus, 
you might find you giving your money and your time to Paul. Now, what I'm not going to do, guys, I've finished here. What I'm not going to do is come stand up and come to the front if you struggle with porn. We're not going to do that. We're not going to say, right, we have the pen knives, hands out, let's chop them off. Eye gouging, go over there. No. But what we are going to do is we're going to just take a moment or two to worship Jesus. And I want you to be real. And you might think, I need to confess to someone. You might think, I, I want to confess to my, my spouse. And I think the way to do that is for you to just say, I'm sorry, I've looked at stuff I shouldn't. The spouse is not to ask, what have you looked at? When have you looked at? How often? And you're to pray together, forgive me. There is nothing to be gained from giving Paul more airtime than it's already got in our society by saying, this is what I look at and this is how often. But it might be time for you to get free. And if someone comes, if your partner comes to you, your spouse comes to you and confesses that, you need to say, I forgive you. I love you. Because they've committed adultery against you. So we need to be strong and fight this war, amen? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.